0: Uh, This is Dave Broadbeck sitting here in my, what I euphemistically call a podcasting studio, but it's actually the uh, room I do podcast in. It's not really a studio. It's my daughter's old bedroom. That is neither here nor there. Uh, The following lecture is from Psychology 3926 slash 4926, special topics in cognitive psychology, animal cognition. Hope you enjoy it. All right, so today we're going to talk about, um, when I say we, I always say we, and I mean me. What I'm going to talk about today is timing and counting. Uh, mostly timing, but you can understand and probably guess that those are going to be pretty intimately related. Um, does this work? Yeah, look at that. So, <clears throat> I'm sorry it looks like this. I'm using the evil that is PowerPoint because I forgot my cable at all. That would be much nicer looking kid. So we talked about spatial stuff last time. And in a sense, tiny accounting are like spatial things because they're just things existing in number, and things in the world changing as we go forward. We're all time travelers, just all in the same direction. Um, is a property of the universe. Like, and it never has not been this way. <laughs> it's always been the time passed. Um, it's always been that things occur in number. So, there are properties of the universe, so it would make sense to be able to encode something like this. right? It makes sense that it is then represented, and that animals respond to it. It's not something that's... This isn't something invented by humans. This isn't something that just happened in the last thousand years. You know, you think about something like human ability to read handwriting. Writing has only been around maybe 8,000, 9,000 years. Not enough time for evolution to do it in. Time's been passing since there was time. Uh, Things have existed in numbers since there have been things. So, it makes complete sense then that we would respond to this uh, and when I say we, I mean all animals. (laughs) And encoded. And we can talk about both long-term periods, of time, like days, hours, years, and short intervals, seconds or minutes. I'm not going to talk a lot about numbers today, but they're similar. They both, in some respects, probably involve counting. Counting how much time has passed or counting actual physical objects. Right? Does that make sense? All right. So, the first thing that you can think of, of course, is circadian timing, and I've talked about this a little bit before. So, a lot of what happens on the Earth depends on the time of the day. We have the Earth spins on an axis, yada, yada, yada. We have days and nights. So, there's rhythmicity in the Earth itself, and we should represent that and respond to it. Being everything that's alive, beyond maybe, like I, I'm trying to think of something that that wouldn't matter to, but that matters to everything. It's really hard to imagine time wouldn't matter. Pardon me. Something that is too small to even care about time. Yeah, but there's still rhythmicity to what happens on the Earth because of the spinning. You know, that's not, that's what I'm thinking. That's the first thing I thought of. I thought like. You know, I don't know things that live by vents in uh, 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 deep in the ocean and live on, and have a sulfur metabolism. Except that, that's still rhythmic, man. I guarantee you, there's rhythmicity in those animals or other animals. Those things. The tardigrade. Tardigrade probably doesn't care. It well, I'm not sure, man. I I bet <laughs> do. I'd be very surprised if they didn't. Because every other little thing. It's rhythmic. I mean, I'd be very surprised if it wasn't. But I would also, if it wasn't, I was really cool. Because they also helped the, the Starship Discovery navigate. So that's okay. We can look at fungi. Right? I talked about slime molds. Did I just this class? and brain behavior. They all eventually mold together into one just giant mess. So and all yeah, no. yeah. Wasn't us? No. Okay, so slime molds grow and then they, they uh, in rhythmic fashion. Like everything does. And you can take a look at isolate the gene that controls that rhythmic growth. And then you can take a look at the gene that uh, you think well let's sleep without that where it is, but you can isolate the gene and it causes the rhythmicity, and it's similar to other genes that do that in other ways. Yeah,
1: well, cool videos on YouTube
0: where you can see it growing. Yeah, and it goes in. A, it, there's a 24-hour cycle to it, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> really neat.
1: So it's pretty early everyone.
0: Yeah, I mean, once you figure this out, there's no reason to screw with it because the Earth spins and it always has spun, right? You study this in animals through what's called entrainment, which is just synchronizing the external to the internal. So, what you do is you have a say a 12-hour on, 12-hour off light-dark cycle. And you take a look at some behavior, That behavior maybe is wheel running in a hamster. So you have a hamster in a wheel, he's running, or she, we are equal opportunity experimenters, uh, running along in the in the wheel, and they'll run at night, in the dark, and not in the day. They sleep. And we can look at the activity level in a hamster uh, when it's running in a, in a wheel, because we can actually just count the number of revolutions per minute. It's really, it's beautiful because we can count, we can quantify behaviors we want to do. And the endogenous rhythms that we have, we being humans, we being hamsters, we being fungi, they're a little more or less than 24 hours. They usually allow 23 and a half hours, 24 and a half hours. That allows us to shift as the. You want something that can shift, right? Because we have also the Earth with the axis and the what have you and the spinning and the uh, seasons, right? So, right now, days are getting shorter, right? So you want to be able to shift when you get up in the morning. You want to be able to because sh- the earth does that. So evolution has selected for having 23 and a half, 24 and a half hour clocks. So when we see a 24 hour clock, it's about 24 hours. So the actual endogenous rhythms are a little bit more or less than 24 hours. The entrainment happens when the behavior lines up with the change in the artificial environment you've got the animal in. Make sense? Okay. So, whoops, wrong way. Wait, right? Yeah, okay. So, how is entrainment different from anything else? That makes it special. The agent acts in absence of other cues. So, the agent, that's the the animal. Um, The rhythm adjusts if I adjust the time. So, what I can do is I can shift... Uh, fake daylight over, and fake, uh, and the animal will respond that way. So the hamster running will shift over along with it. So I understand daylight It's Sort of. I mean, it's the same way you and I do. When in, in what? When is it? Like in about three weeks, when we shift back to, or two weeks shift back to standard time. It'll take us all a couple of days to shift back, but that's fine, right? It's not like it's the end of the world. It's not like it's, 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 it's at the very most, two or three days. Yeah, it is the end of the world if you don't have a stable schedule. To get well, yes, I know. Believe me. It's also the end of the world uh, if, uh, uh, I don't know. If, I had a joke there and I lost it. <laughs> I really I had something. It's pretty good, too. Um, but it's not, it's funny. I get, I look, I get people who are like, it throws me off in like, three weeks. No, it doesn't. It's just, that's an, at that point, it's an excuse. It was three weeks ago. Uh, but if you travel to another country, like in you know, time zone, not just to the States, you don't get jet lag from going across the bridge, <laughs> bridge lag. It's pretty exhausting. Yeah, it can be exhausting. Also, you have to set your watch back about 30 years socially. But uh, <laughs> thank you. But uh, still, the thing is, uh, if you go to Europe, right, so five hours, that's a pretty big switch. Right? You go to Vancouver, three hours, big switch. One time zone, which is what daylight savings is. Not a huge switch, but you do have to get re-entrained. Right? The relationship is the, the, a stable phase relationship. In other words, if, it, if the animal, say, runs in the dark, dark it keeps running in the dark. It doesn't start running in the day. Okay, When I say running, we're well, thinking of a hamster in a running wheel here. It was a pre standard thing. Um, and you remove, this is where it gets fun. Now you remove... The training cube, the light. Now you can watch. It looks like the, the, the the graphs they show. A little marker. Okay, I got one in my bag. The uh, the the, instru- the construction uh, it'll be done by the end of August. <laughs> <laughs> So, it looks like this. So you have like a 24-hour, these are like 24-hour uh, beans, I guess you'd call them. And then you have, now what we're going to do is the animal is all, this is what it behaves. Okay? This is what it behaves. And there's your light and dark. But because it's... It's off by, it's, it's not exactly 24 hours. We turn off the queue now. It's going to shift over a little bit. Shift over a little bit. Shift over. So you get this nice shift. Which is what would happen to you if I left you in a completely dark completely light room for a couple weeks, which would be very nice. Is this well, did do it as a Yeah, and that, the work has been done that way. Like, people have a bunch of research projects, sure. A lot of those run by NASA, things like that, because um, people are in you know space and such, and they have to uh, have the lights on all the time, but with the Star Trek and the Klingons and such, they never deal with that in those shows, that every planet should be different, wouldn't only be 24 hours, anyway, so we remove this, it changes the pattern, it moves over, it shifts over. So the gene I was mentioning before that shows up in slime mold also shows up in hamsters. It's called the tau gene in hamsters and drosophila. It's the per gene. These are genes that, these are single genes that control the circadian clock of these animals. And the cool thing about it is those genes hybridize 99% all of them with each other. They're the same freaking set of base pairs. They're the same gene. And if you don't think that's cool, you don't know what cool is. Dana. So like what about animals that hibernate? Mm-hmm. So do they have a gene that basically looks at the signal and then turns It's not just a gene, but uh, there'll be a lot of them. But, uh, and then, of course, the environment kicks it in. So what happens is it, it, days are getting shorter and temperature's going down. And then they start into this sort of, they start eating a whole lot and slowing down at the same time going <coughs> to sleep. But, yeah. but that's a, like a yearly cycle. And that's still timing. Yeah. So, okay, circadian timing is very interesting and in all that stuff, but it's over a period of time, or circannual timing, which is talking about, which is like, say, living uh, over, you know, a season to season, year to year. What about timing when it talks about seconds or minutes rather than hours? This is something an animal should be able to do. And we know, in fact, that they can from one thing, which is you train them on a fixed interval schedule, Right, you know about fixed intervals? This is when the animal is uh, rewarded for the first response after X number of seconds. So it's, let's say 10. So an Fi10 is the animal is res- rewarded for the first response after 10 seconds has elapsed. <coughs> every 10 seconds, the first response after 10 seconds has elapsed. Can I say that again? Okay, so it's the first, the animal is rewarded for the first response it makes after 10 seconds has elapsed. Once a, when a signal shows, so like a key light for a pigeon or something. Okay? It's not every 10 seconds, the animal has to actually do something, it has to respond. So in this case, the pigeon has to peck a key. It's not just after 10 seconds, it's the first response after 10 seconds that is rewarded. And we know they can do this. We can train Skinner found this. out, you train animals to do this really simple. They actually start responding right around ten seconds. Okay. <clears throat> well, you eventually get that. Yes. Now the point of this is the interesting thing about this is you got to keep in mind that it's not that they get reinforced every ten seconds. It's really important you get that through your head because if. They the part about the timing here is they keep track of, around, of what the time is, they can train to, then make pack right around that amount of time, or, or push a bar, it could be pushing a bar. To be any kind of behavior you can track easily. Okay? And it's still in FI-10, even if they take 400 years. That's long, they'd be dead. But like two minutes, if they take 220 seconds, it's still in FI-10, because the experimenter sets... It up, not the animal. Okay? You see this section? That one's called a fixed time schedule. It's (coughs) all together. And I once got into an argument with a student about this, and he claimed he was right. And I said, You know, there's a reason I stand up here and you sit over there. One of the few times I've done that, I've done that twice. If you ever have, you know, Dwayne? You guys know Dwayne. I think Dwayne was in that class. It wasn't him. It was a guy named Steve Legasik. Asked Dwayne about Steve Legasik. Where is Steve so. now? I don't know. I don't know. But I told him he had he could until he had read a whole bunch of stuff. He wasn't allowed to ask questions anymore. And I don't do that, right? I'm not that guy. But I hated that moment because I hated doing it at the same time. Like I felt like. You are and, and I'm like sitting in and you're a power, you're the guy getting paid to be here, you're being a dick. But he deserves it. The other time was I think I've told you guys about the time the guy asked me what to feed tarantulas in the middle of the research methods class. What? Yeah. I'm teaching you a quasi-experimental science, and I goes, You know a lot about animals, right? I said, Uh-huh. What do you feed a tarantula? I said, You can't talk
1: anymore.
0: It's okay. <laughs> <Done>. a <laughs> so twice in my computer. So we know they can do this. What we do after a time, once they get good at this, which takes some training, they, we give them an empty trial. An empty trial, so you're not going to feed them. You're not going to feed them. And then you count how many, we can then take a look at when they, when they respond. And that's called an empty trial, and you get what's called the peak procedure. I'll show you some graphs in a second. Of responding. Whoops. <coughs> along with the good. One of the things that one of the cool things that happens is we get something that is a lot like Weber's Law in well it is Vapor's Law, right? you know vapor's Law in psychophysics, by the way, that is they affect their day? Those of you into psychophysics. few of you. Okay. Um, so what Vapor's Law basically says is that the amount that or one way to look at it is the amount of whatever it is you're trying to estimate that your system's trying to represent. could be how bright a light is, how loud a sound is, how much time has passed. The amount you're trying to estimate is going to be proportional to the amount of error you make. So, if you're trying to guess when, how, when 10 seconds has elapsed, your responses are going to be spread out so much. If you're trying to guess how much time 30 seconds has elapsed, It's going to be longer, uh, wider, rather than the spread of the the distribution. Also, oh, there's a eraser. Okay. So if we took the, I'll show you some data in a second. But if you had the uh, peak time here, when they their peak time of responding, last time, and then over here you had the variance. So it's going to look like this. a straight line. Ready, animal. OK? That's all Weber's Law is. And it follows Weber's Law. One of the neat things you can do as well is, let's say you have a, the signal go on for, let's say you're doing an Fi10. And you have the signal on for five seconds. And then you turn it off for five seconds. Then you turn it back on for five seconds. And then you can see, are the animals resetting their interval clocks, or is it running? They're resetting if they start over again and peak 10 seconds after the, set, or after the restart. They are going to be just running if they peak right away. As soon as they turn it back on, because that means 10 seconds has elapsed since the first signal start. So these are the kind of things you can look at. So here's some data. These are from black-capped chickadees uh, pecking at a touchscreen, under a touchscreen, I'm sorry, a, a green pecking key in a, a standard box about that size, built by Robert Hampton. This is data from Broadbeck Hampton, and Chang I jeez, I don't know, sometime in the 90s. So you see the time since signal on, so these are Fi 12 and a half. And you say, Fi 12 and a half, what was wrong with you people? Um, the timing stuff we thought we had going right of the computer was off by 25%, so we thought it was an Fi 10. It
1: was <laughs> Fi 12 and a half.
0: We thought that was an FI 30. It's an FI 37 and a half, Okay? which we figured out. I mean, the time, timing was fine. We just figured it out later. What, what software were you using? Uh, it was a, we were. more interesting thing is what the hardware was. The software was called BASIC. The um, hardware was an Apple II that we scrambled. <laughs> we just found this gear around the lab, and I said, Rob Hampton and I said to Sarah Shonoworth, can we do this? And she said, well, you can do it. I'm not sure if you may do it. <laughs> and she said, if this does not interfere with anything, either of you are doing. And we said, well, we have Ken Chen. He's going to do it with us. He's going to help us, so it's you know, not going to screw it. And she said, OK, fine. Just don't let it get in the way of your thesis work. It's like, OK. So we did it. And we, it was all scrambled parts. Rob built uh, the, the Skinner Box. Uh, well, I wrote most of the code. Like It was a long time ago, of course, this was we ran this I was still in graduate school, so we didn't publish it until like years later when I sort of thought I should we should probably publish this, it all involved together. But you can see here, so this is bird G1 being trained on a 12 and a half second FI, and look where his peak time is, right about there. Same thing here. And look at this guy here, bird B 37.5, right around 37.5. So they're peeping peeping, peaking right where they should be. But that's some data over literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trials. Can I just ask you a quick question? Yes,
1: you can. It's not entirely no, it's fine. clear between uh,
0: I'm sure it's clear. a fixed interval yeah. and a fixed time. OK, good. So what ahead. happens at
1: 12 and a half seconds?
0: Uh, the, first, the first peck the bird made after 12 and a half seconds of the light being on that had elapsed, it got mm. some food. OK, so the light goes off at
1: 12 and a half seconds? No,
0: it does not. It stays on until they peck it. So, what happens at 12 and a half seconds? Nothing if they don't pack, Except if it's Thursday. <laughs> so, so, So the light goes on. Yeah. Timer starts running. Yeah, yeah. It's 12 and a half seconds. Now, the software says if you peck, yeah. Light goes off, food hopper comes up. Okay. But it has to, It the light can stay on for five minutes if okay. they have Okay. Make sense then? So, what's
1: the difference between a 12 and a half second and a
0: 30 second? Because the 37 and a half second, they, if they peck, yeah. before 37 and a half seconds, well, they don't they get,
1: get
0: a treat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make sense? Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. I'm glad you're asking because it is. it can be complicated. And one of the, as I said at the beginning of this course, the problem I'm going to have with this material is I know this stuff too well. So I might gloss over things. So I'm glad you're asking. Other questions? So you good? So you can see, first of all, we trained them up, it worked. That's those are empty trials. So now what we did is we reset them. So we put a gap in. Um, above uh, blah, 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 six and a half, six and a quarter seconds. Half the amount of time. It was supposed to be five, it was actually six and a quarter seconds. And you can see what happened. Now, you can take a look here and see, that. do you think that they're resetting? Or do you think that their clocks are running all the way through, and they're just ignoring the cyclical turning off?
1: Resetting.
0: Yeah, they're resetting, right? Because you can take a look here and see that their peak time moves over the amount of time since the gap. See the gaps right here? Their peak time of responding here. It moves over the amount of time that the gap is there. They're kind of confused. They are kind of confused here. Yeah. It's confusing because the world isn't supposed to work that way. They've been, they've been trained for literally hundreds and hundreds of trials to stand there and peck at this key. Hundreds of trials. And then suddenly, Bridebeck, Hampton, and Chang go, you know, it would be really funny. is like, we turn the light out. What are you going to do now, you stupid bird? Who lives in a cage, also, by the way? Loser. So we were also mocking them, just letting them know. But the thing that happens here is the birds reset the bird. You might think, well, why wouldn't they reset? Because there's other data that show that sometimes rats don't reset. They keep running. They just time since the beginning. They don't time only when the signal's on. Please. Can you
1: just distinguish between resetting and the
0: alternative? Oh, resetting and just running. So running would be that they don't reset. They don't, uh, it would be like... Re, re, running would be like letting the whole letting the, 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 their stopwatch keep running. Even when the lights out. The other thing they could do is do it like a... Uh,
1: so what you're saying is like, okay, so uh, a light goes off? Yes. And then another light goes off? No. On? No?
0: No, okay. the, same light, the same light. Same it's light. is on and off or off. Okay. Yes. So it's on for five seconds, off for five seconds. Okay. Then on for five seconds. No, then on for as long as we feel like. I think 120 seconds. Actually, 120, 120 times quarter. Uh, <laughs> okay. So the question is, do
1: they keep going from the first time the light went on or do they? Yes, ma'am. Reset. Okay. Yes,
0: exactly. Okay.
1: That's the gap.
0: That's the gap, exactly. Exactly. No, this stuff, uh, believe me, this stuff is weird to get your head around. So if you have questions, please ask them. There are, there are, it makes sense to me, but it took me a long time to understand this This stuff. You said there's another thing they could do? Well, they could stop the clock like a stopwatch and then restart. Right. So not count the time during the gap, but... Yeah. Still,
1: okay.
0: Yeah. Now... I want to talk about that a little. No. Um, okay, so let's let's look at individual d- trials. Because when you sum them all together, you get this beautiful, almost normal-looking curve. And in fact, the best fit when you do a model, model curve fitting thing, is you get a normal curve and then with a tail So it's two it's two curves. It's a normal curve and then a straight line, and it fits. It explains like ninety nine point nine percent of the variance. However, if you look at individual trials and we and we just line them up such that we go before they they peck and after they peck, it's break, run, break. That's what they do.
1: They
0: don't peck. Then they peck. Then they stop. They don't peck a little bit, a little bit. Hold on, hold on. They don't peck on individual trials like that. And that's. I can go back and explain that then. What the hell? If. What this was, we modeled to see if if they actually were pecking like a normal distribution on every trial. This is what it should look like. That's why there's negative times here. This is modeling stuff. But it should look like that if it's if they were going no peck, peck a little, peck a little, peck a lot, peck, A, like a normal distribution on every empty trial. But that's not what it looks like at <laughs> all, oh, is it?
1: You just go crazy.
0: They don't pack. They pack and they stop. That's what they do. But then when you sum it all together, you get this normal distribution. Okay, so that's these are the kind of analyses one can do with this kind of stuff. So what is what, what can we? Any questions about this though? Before I go on, This, we're just looking at one paper here. It's representative because I happen to have all the raw data. So, like this is typically how this works. So. Okay. One of the things we can look at is we can look at correlations between different, I don't want to call these, different things that happen. Run phase variables, we call them. So you can look at the correlation between their start time and their stop time their start time and their middle time, their start time and their spread time. So it's basically just, it's so we can get a feel for what goes with what. So you can take a look here, this is a pigeon data from uh, Cheng and Westwood. Okay. Using that same computer? Uh, no, but the same, exactly the same parameters, except it was 10 and 30, it was running on an IBM 286. Like I said, this is a long time, it's in grad school. Okay? And then here are our chickadee results. And then it says your computer, it's what? Computer? Well, yeah, we modeled So we did, built a mathematical model to fit the curves. And what you want is you want to get this pattern to look like this pattern right, and this pattern. And we did okay. You can see some interesting things here. Start and stop time aren't really horribly correlated. They're correlated. Right? There's a couple here that, yeah, the, the start time and the p and the rate of pecking are not correlated at all. So in other words, what that's saying is if it's 10 seconds or 30 seconds, or in this trial it was 9.6 seconds and this trial it was 8.4, it doesn't matter what, does, that doesn't depend on how much they peck. They're just timing. They're only timing. They're, it's not controlling how much they peck. Right? Uh, Let's see the middle and the rate. Basically the rate ones don't have anything to do with timing. In other words, how much they're pecking has nothing to do with are they timing properly? Okay, so how does this probably work? Here's a pretty typical model. This is a, a, a sort of a connectionist model looking at how how we can generate this kind of behavior? So what's the saying is first? We have the animal has a, pa- a pacemaker. This is this one's from. Where's that paper? This, that's from. Uh, Roberts, Broadback Rob, and Macuta, or Roberts, Macuta and Broadback, or the three of us were authors of this paper. Bill Roberts drew this, and he used Letraset to make these because he didn't like using computers. Still working? Hmm? Still working? Oh yeah. Still not using computers? No, he's he's amazing. Um, yeah. He's just not, you know. I bet mean he uses computers now. But at the time He used to get his graphs made by the geography department. think mean, I told you guys that, right? Yeah. He'd give people data and say, could you make me a graph? That's he's the most mild-mannered person you ever meet. Anyway, so there's a pacemaker. What it's doing is it's setting out pulses. Let's just worry about the timing one. So we got this is we got the time system. It's going to accumulate, and then the animal in its has learned. Let's say 10 seconds. It's learned that this is its reference memory. So it's the rules of the game. It's learned it's 10 seconds fast. I have to peck. So. We have a bin here of time. So these pulses go into this accumulator. The animal reads the output, uh, the, sorry, the state of the accumulator. It compares what's in here with what's in here. And it either responds or doesn't respond. I know that says left response, right response, but that's because in that paper, we were, uh, they were having or timing. It doesn't matter. The point is, it's a pretty simple model, actually. So you have a pacemaker, you have an accumulator, you have memory, and a comparator.
1: Could that be using the same system as uh, monitoring heart rate?
0: It's a similar idea. It's a similar idea. But in this case, the animal is more of an active agent in this. Right? I mean, again, the pigeon doesn't actually know it's doing this. But you wouldn't know you were doing it either. And you'd be... Ken Chang has found that humans look like any other animal doing a peak procedure. They use tapping rate. They used to tell people that, uh, OK, the light's going to come on, hit the button after 10 seconds, and go count. And you can get people to not count. It's easy. to distract. I think they're very good at it very quickly. But then you look at their behavior, and it looks just a, they a run, a break, run, break, just like, just like rats or pigeons or chickens. It's quite neat. What was
1: the two things next to the memory?
0: Oh, here, yeah. They're just comparing uh, the state of the accumulator so that they're, they're reading the number info in this case and the time info. Yeah. It's just to read the information. Don't worry about the number thing, but you know what? This is how counting works, too. That's what I'm showing you here is you could have the same thing. This accumulator can be doing time or it can be doing number. And our contention in that paper, in fact, was climate number would be controlled by the same system. So I'm not totally sure I still buy mm-hmm. The data showed that. Dwayne's master's thesis is on this work, too. So. Everybody in the department, except for Paul, who's uninterested, <laughs> uh, and Arthur, who does hypnotism, <laughs> he, uh, worked with him. Yeah, yeah, look at him. He can it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he did. His PhD is in hypnotism. It's actually really neat work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and how most of it's bullshit, by the way.
1: <laughs>
0: how people won't do things that they wouldn't normally do, things like that. Yep. Hmm. Just a really neat experiments there. Yeah. Okay. So, this connectionist model can be made a little bit more complicated. And that I know that looked a little more a little complicated. The way you make it even more complicated is you actually talk about what we have for the, what do you call it, the, uh, there we just had the word, uh, you know, um, accumulator. And it just, we didn't say what it was. Connectionist modeling nowadays talks about oscillators. So we would have different Cognitive systems, which could be cell assemblies in the heavy sense, that, 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 that could say oscillate at different frequencies. Okay? So one that oscillates at tenths of a second, hundredths of a second, half a second, one second, ten seconds, we could probably take up the half there. So we could, let's say it's all in orders of magnitude if we're gonna model it. So hundreds tenths, one second, ten seconds, a hundred seconds, and then probably a day. Because it's a property of the universe today. And then if you read the output of all of the state of all of those things in the accumulator, you can get a very accurate set of time. And you may think to yourself, Dave, that sounds ridiculous. How could it be that it's like that? And it turns out, in fact, that if you look at, <laughs> I'm not going to get into this partially because I don't completely understand it, but also because think it would take forever explain it. Is because I don't understand it that well. Is that if you look, you can, you can, if you think of these things actually as being physical things that are oscillating, they will have a signature. Okay, think of it like on Star Trek when they're trying to change the warp signature of a ship. So, the, the, these these oscillators will have a signature. They'll actually because they oscillate at a certain frequency. If they're oscillating a certain frequency, we should be able to if we're modeling it the variance we can't explain okay, should be how much the individual oscillators are oscillating back and forth. Does that make sense? Kind of. Okay. So, if we're saying that the one at tenths of a second, and I'm just being that's artificial, I'm just picking that one. If I'm saying this thing is oscillating, so if this is time, every tenth of a second, okay, should be going like that, like that, like that, okay? Now, the one at one second will be doing this, except it'll only be doing it back here, because that's, you see what I'm saying? It's back. it's back here. Okay, so that's up to 1.0. And then the one at 10 seconds would be well, it's one two, somewhere outside. Okay? Now does that make sense? Okay? You can see how the animal could read this and say 10.13 seconds. But because this thing goes off and on, and if it's going to oscillate at every one. There's going to be a time when it's a little bit before point .1 and a little bit after point .1, where it's still oscillating, but it's not exactly at point .1. Does that make sense? Like yes, yes. But how do you know the animal can do this? Oh no, you build you build a model that does this, and okay. you compare it to what the animal behaves. How the animal behaves. Okay. Okay. The neat thing. So so far, now you can see what the signature could be because we can see this leftover variance. It would happen every 0.1 seconds, or 1 second, or 10 seconds, or whatever. You see that? It's leftover variance because the thing has to go from being off to on, and it can't just, it's not, it's got dimension. It goes up and down. It's analog. So it's, yeah. It's analog, in fact, it is, because the nervous system is an analog system, it's not digital. <coughs> if that's the case, we should see extra variance around 1 second, or 10 seconds, or 100 seconds that we can't explain by it being exactly 10 seconds, 1 second, or 100 seconds. We can call that an oscillator signature. <laughs> so we should be able to find that variance. And John Crystal has found that variance. So we actually know that this happens. And he found this in graduate school, because John's smarter than all of us. Maybe he also find it in rats. It was in rats. Does, does he do anything in non rats? Right? Oh, yeah, sure. He's, this, he's done stuff uh, with uh, pigeons, chickadees. Yeah. Are pigeons just sky rats? No. They're okay. great. But it's pretty neat, right? I, I like connections modeling because uh, it's easy to understand. The oscillating stuff is neat, but it's, it's weird to me, but it's probably true. There's another theory called the behavioral theory of timing. No, it's not black in the television. B.E.T. It's behavioral theory of timing. Behavioral theory of timing says that the animal is keeping track of its behavior. In other words, it's counting how many pecks it makes, things like that. Because that's a way to keep track of time. When you think about it, right? If you peck at a constant rate, that's going to keep track of time, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but what have starting
0: point. Yeah, but let's say you always peck ten times and you're doing an FI 10, and you tech tech once a second, that's going to do pretty well. The problem is it does a really nice job with the peaks. It can't do the trial-by-trial trial data at all. So behavioral theory of timing is, is, is not one that, it's one that one guy sticks really likes, and that's the guy who came up with it. <laughs> uh, Peter Green. and he's smart, don't misunderstand me. It's uh, just that it, it's not one that everybody goes for anymore so much. The Connectionist model is probably the best. I think I'd say it is the best, but, uh, and look, the oscillating stuff is just cool. The oscillator signature stuff blows my mind. And John was like a child when he came up with that, like, I don't think he was old enough to vote yet. It's not true. It was impressive. Okay. Let's change the subject to something a little less weird, counting in squirrel monkeys. (laughs) Wait, that is weirder. So this is really neat work. This is work done by, well, first of all, let's think about camping. This seems strange. Because we think of that as being a completely human thing. Because we have these things. We have numerals, right? Don't have self-system track of how many kids you have. Yeah, but you can just recognize all of them. So maybe it's some or none. That's counting. It's not really good counting. It's not horribly accurate counting, but it's still counting. What if it's many or few? Well, that's easy to teach. All you do is you train the animal that there's always going to be more. This could be any animal. Let's, just, let's make it pigeons, And you could just do like a triangle and a square. And the triangle always has more. Now how do you do it? After the animal's done, you show it the other one, then you take it away. Okay. The animal will very quickly just, in half time of triangles, half time be squares, blah blah blah, that is. But you would pigeons, rats, no yeah. matter what, can learn that very it many few. That would assist in Probably, right? <coughs> you can also, like, if you get, if you get a, uh, you get a, take a chicken, as you often do and give it a choice between one piece of popcorn and four pieces of popcorn, but you just cut it up into four because one kernel of popcorn, they'll take the four. So they don't have conservation. Kids Yeah, oh yeah, exactly, children will. Many adults <laughs> <laughs> Adults will do that, right? Well, they, they often tell you people, like, you know, you're trying to lose weight. You should cut all your food up into small pieces. It'll feel like you've eaten more. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, because I just, I'm a pig. And I just go, ah. It's but, easier just to give them smaller things. There's all, I've heard that. I've heard that. Or really huge plates. No. Anyway. Because you want to kill a plane. Yes, exactly. So the thing is, there's a cognitive component here of many versus few that most animals respond to. This experiment, Olthoff, Eiden and Roberts, was originally done with uh, chips by Sally Boysen um, and then replicated by Monica Olthoff, Karen who is now called, oh my God. No, no, I mean, we're friends on Facebook and on Twitter. And then... Anyway, she got married and changed again, and no dogs. But here's how the experiment works. And this is neat. OK, so you got squirrel monkeys. Or oh, in the original boys and paper, chips. But it's not as impressive with the chips, because they're so much like us, except for the poo-throwing. But they're so much like us. Mm-hmm. Where squirrel monkeys are, are new world monkeys. And they're distantly related to humans. They don't share 99% of their genes with us. They're, you know, they look kind of like really short, small, weird people in weird monkey costumes. Like, they're only this big. Most of them are. Yeah, and they're, they're monkeys. They're not apes, right? So you train them up like this. You teach them. Let's say you've got a, a card with a, number five written on it and a card with the number three written on it. And underneath here, we have five pieces of peanut. I don't know why I'm doing that detail, but I So there's a little little well. So there's like a board, and this is on top of this. And if they, open, they turn over the five, they take the five little pieces of peanut, and eat it, and you can pull it away. Because the little bastards will go after the three as soon as they done to five. <laughs> and you do one and two and six and four. And you keep going. However, you hold certain pairs in advance. You don't use certain pairs. So you never, and I forget what the pairs were, but you never use seven and three. Okay? You never use two and six and never use four and nine. If there were enough pairs of numbers, they did one to nine, there was one number that wasn't used for each animal because they had pairs of one to nine you can have, so one number was, was so, had a pair that didn't show up one of those, abeyance pairs. So the purpose of this being so that rather than teaching them uh, one value is greater than the other, they had to learn a hierarchy of values? Yeah, they have to actually learn one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So then what you do is you take one of these pairs they've never seen before. Let's say it's two and seven, and you see which one they choose. And they choose the higher one. And of course, the higher one's on the left, and ones on the right. And the experimenter doesn't know what is underneath the thing. Like they, they slide it in, and they're blind to it. The number of things that were blind, 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 like it's like triple, quadruple blindness And also, I utilize the dates, so it's like really blind. Thank you. Thank you. So, thank you very much. It's a blind joke, and it's offensive. But, so, Annika Olthoff, this is Annika's master's thesis, I think? Um, What this did, so, when Annika ran this, she did not, when she put the, the little trace in, she didn't know what the trace what they what they had, what they saw, like what was under what, what the cards were, and they were handed to her by somebody else, and it was scored by somebody else. Like it's it's not there's levels of carefulness in here, experimental control. So, the first day, the animals are given ten tests of these pairs they've never seen before. They get them all right. There were three squirrel monkeys: Charlie, Jake, and Elmer. Jake and Elwood, of course, the Blues Brothers. You've seen the movie. They were 9 out of 10, 9 out of 10, and 10 out of 10. They were perfect on the day one. What do they get?
1: Right?
0: They just picked the, the one that has the highest number.
1: Okay. But it's, 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 number? it's
0: all pairs they've never seen before. So it's not 5 and 3. Okay. It's like 2 and 9, one they haven't seen before. And, and then, Like I said, I believe it was 5 pairs they held in the bands. Or something like that, or 4. So that's impressive to begin. With. So the next day, later that same day, that's the next day. They tried something cool. Let's try this. Four. over so most of the planet. So this is going to be, underneath here, there's going to be nine, underneath here is going to be seven. Notice that the number on top is lower here and higher here. All controls done up the whatever thing you have. Okay, so the summation not traction. The question is what do they do? It supposed to be summation. They were perfect in the first day. So will they touch summation. No, they did it naturally. They naturally added the question is, could you teach them to subtract? They can do pluses. Can they do takeaways? No.
1: No. No, no. I can't
0: wait something hard It actually, I mean you think about it, when you remember I don't know if you remember, you guys remember as kids learning arithmetic. But subtraction was harder than addition. Addition came very simply. Addition is all, was almost trivial, right? You could say like this plus this. But I bet some of you to this day, when you do subtraction, you go. I'm just going to check my email and <laughs> pull and actually do 12 minus 9. Okay, so mm-hmm. when they when they were shown numbers that they weren't familiar with, were yes. they just going off of knowledge of the like the the other number that they might have known. Oh no, Nine. they had seen those numbers, just not in pairs. Oh okay. yes, that's a good question. They tried teaching them zero; they could not understand. <laughs> They never learned what zero was. Zero is extremely <coughs> abstract to no, that No, it is. It's because, see, everything, it's, it, these are all amounts of things, and zero is not thing. Those are actually different fields. I was going to say thing again, but, but instead I chose deals. That was good. Concept? Yeah. Concept like that. Deals. It's a totally different dealio do you understand negatives? Than negatives would be hard. Imaginary numbers. Hey, <laughs> look at the... We'll Let's scroll down yeah. here go. Okay, square root of negative one. This is how this works. It's fine. So...
1: Uh,
0: David. Yes, please. Um, this is kind of an abstract. No, no, this is weird work. Do you so. think that they're
1: conceptualizing counting in the same way we do, or are they doing it in, in the way that they
0: might do? Oh, well, you have to be more specific well, like, are, they, are they reading the numbers as we are, or are oh. they reading it in a different I way? I don't know. I mean, uh, when Boisin did it, I don't think she used numerals. I think she used symbols that she had. But, you know, if I taught you, if, if you were my child, which would be weird, but if you were and I raised you such that I taught you that the numbers were chair, orange, floor wax, and you would go, <laughs> that's how you count. <laughs> so it wouldn't really matter, right? So that's sort of what's going on here. I think they did it because it's just easier for the experimenter. Why not use those? Right? It's also a little striking. Like, there's some good PR going on here. <laughs> right? Now, by the way, after this was published, people were like, no, oh, no, Clever Hans, Clever hunts, Clever Hans. You know Clever Hans, right? That's Clever Hans is the horse that could count. The German horse that could count. And it would, and they would give, uh, German people would come up because it was Germany. And they would say, hey, how many is, uh, what's six times three, except they'd say that in German. So they'd say it like she does, not like the rest of us. And then he'd look in the, the horse and he'd say, hey, ha, ha, how it's six times three. And Hans would go, and he would do that until he gets to 18, and he'd stop at 18, and people would go, holy shit, except they'd say that in German, holy scheisse. And then they'd say, he can count. And it turned out, in fact, that the owner was doing little cues. He didn't even know he was doing. He was going like, he was probably doing like this. Like, like he, the horse could read his face. The guy wasn't faking it, right, on purpose. So everybody said self So the number of controls that we did even afterwards to replicate this a bunch of times, it works. I still know people don't believe it. I was, but I mean, I watched this happen. And it's like, no, no, there's no way. No one knows what their pairs are. We hired to the lab undergraduates that had been in university two weeks. So they didn't even have a psychology class yet. And we said, we're going to give you like hundreds of dollars to put peanuts in this thing if you don't tell anybody about it. <laughs> okay. So I'm certain there's no clever hunt stuff going on. I'm certain what happens is these animals are canned. I'm certain they're at it. Right? And I bet you can teach any other animal to, well, I <laughs> don't I bet you could teach a lot of other animals to do this. <laughs> Any other animals would have much, because I doubt a hydra could do this very well. So did they just see the cards or also
1: have the peanuts
0: underneath? Yeah, they, they also have peanuts under here, so yeah. 9 and 7. They thought they were going to have to teach them. They thought all we'll do is we'll teach them this. Okay. That the blue line actually was blue so, so too. So they're like counting the
1: peanuts and then
0: see the numbers. Yeah, Well, so they, this was the same as before, except instead of being a 5 and a 6 or whatever, it was four, five, six, one. And they thought, we're going to now train them up to teach them addition. And they were perfect on the first day. It's like, what's the, and that's, I remember, in fact, Bill Roberts came down to my office. I was his postdoc then, And he said, what's the probability of that happening? He said, I, 10 times in a row, perfectly. I said, it's exceedingly small. It's 2 to the 10th, 1 over 2 to the 10th. He said, that's what I thought. I said, yeah, this hasn't happened by dumb luck. And that's we all went, oh, let's it's find out if it's all the controls, it still works
1: peanuts were behind the card? Yes, underneath
0: it. Right. Yes. So like, they were hidden by
1: the card and then there was peanuts and they that's had to reach right.
0: the card and then that's right. Yeah, And they thought they would have to teach them now that, oh, well, that's six and four, six and four, sorry, six and five and six and one. Four and five, six and one. By the way, you get a six and five, it starts to fall apart. They couldn't do more than ten. Mm-hmm. Or more than nine, I'm sorry. Yeah. Because they'd only been trained up to nine. So the notion that Annika had was that they, they had, a, they, what they did is they built a number line, they ta- taught the animals, same thing, with, remember have, you were taught number lines when you were in elementary I school? And you're taught that really early on, getting to the idea of negatives and all that stuff. So you're taught number lines in grade three, grade four. Basically, the idea here is the animal can count, but giving it labels past nine was something that they had never done. So because they'd never done it, the animal didn't know what a 12 or a 14 was. So it couldn't discriminate, say, 12 from 14. As soon as you went beyond the number line, beyond the training number line, their performance fell apart. Please.
1: If it was, um, say, 12 versus an 8, would they still pick the one that was higher, even though they didn't know what that number
0: was? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to guess that they were a random chance. Okay. Yeah, I'm just going to guess them. But I think that, it, that would fit with all the other results. Do you think that if you taught them?
1: the second uh, value place, that the third would be come naturally?
0: That's a good (laughs) question. It's a question I don't know. I mean, to answer that question, you need a lot of time. It need a lot of time. It could probably be done. As as soon as you have a second value, they'd be able to integrate that if the values... Probably. I would say probably. Yeah so this is really neat. And it's, see, what this is showing, too, is because because the nervous system, sorry, because um, the, because number is a property of the universe, animals should be able to to represent it, because making decisions, and you mentioned foraging, foraging decisions are all about Where should I go to get the most food per unit time? It's basically, are really the most calories? And to do that, you have to know how to do, you have to be able to do time, and you have to be able to do number. Right, because if you're going to look at rate, what is rate? Rate is quantity over time. You must be able to represent a quantity or time, so you can do quantity divided by time, so you can get rate. And animals do forage such that they maximize rate of return. That's a, it's, it's a thing. Like, that's an actual thing. And if they're doing that, well, they can, well, they could be... What's the other way you could represent rate? It's, you're going to kick yourselves when I tell you. Just directly perceive rate. It's, seems bizarre, right? I don't think that. That doesn't seem like it. Because if you already have a time system and a number system, which makes sense, a rate system doesn't seem like something that would have evolved. A time a system and a number system makes sense to me. A rate system only makes sense in very specific circumstances. So I'm going to guess it's going to be just time and number, time divided by number, yeah, but you can just or number divided by time. Exactly. And I mean, the nervous system doing those calculations is trivial. You know, we don't have to... The animal doesn't have to be aware of this. It's just like, I don't think... That J. Elwood and Charlie, were going uh, nine or seven. I, I, in fact, I'm certain they weren't. Exactly, it's a cognitive process, not a conscious
1: process.
0: Exactly, it's a cog- well put. It's a cognitive process, not a conscious process, right? Like so much of you know, most of our cognition for humans isn't consciously available, right? Tell me how you read. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you just read. And I think I've used this example last year in, in evolution. It's like, how do you ride a bike? I don't know. You get on the bike and go, <laughs> right? And wait until you have kids and you try to teach them how to ride a bike.
1: Because
0: you, you look at them and you think, okay, everything else I've taught you, I knew how to do because I could tell you how to do it. Because even with, with, with reading, you can say, sound out the words, right? Remember when you used to do that? Counting. You don't do that anymore. I do that with foreign languages, you know, like ones that don't speak so well, right? But I don't even have to know. I know what the word discriminations means, but I can. I oh, can also count, you know, it up. I can do that. But with a bike, you, you don't know. I mean, you could probably tell them how to ride a bike if you had a understanding study of kinesthetics. Yeah, but that's. You, but you don't have access to that, really, right? That's the thing. It's not conscious. And in fact, how do you turn on a bicycle? This is why kids fall off bikes when you are trying to ride a bike.
1: I fell in the ditch.
0: <laughs> My son, our son our son did that a few times
1: because
0: I taught him when he was 16 and tried to teach, a, tried to teach basically a, a, a grown adult to ride a bicycle. I, I still don't know how to tie shoes. <laughs> See, I don't know how to tie a tie. And I'm, I now wear that as a badge of honor and I'm never going to learn. <laughs> um, I don't own a tie, I don't want to own a tie, exactly. but a lot of times we tell our kids that when we teach them how to a bike, just turn the handlebars and literally that's wrong. That's why you fall. If you just turn like that, you'll fall. You lean, and in fact, if you don't, notice this next time you're on your bike. You actually turn a little bit in the opposite direction, then you turn. You have to
1: give yourself
0: more. But you learn, that's all implicitly learned, because your parents were wrong. It's just turn right. <laughs> and then you fall, and they go, keep uh, uh, practicing, you'll get better. <laughs> right? So that's not available to consciousness. This isn't, this isn't available to consciousness. It doesn't have to be, because it isn't in me. 9 and 7 is 16. I, there's no processing, like I didn't have to do anything, it just happens. Right? When you're doing mental arithmetic, basic arithmetic, when you're doing when you're reading something, it's not available to consciousness. This doesn't have to be available to their consciousness. Because I don't want to know it was in Jake and Elwood's head. I'm not going to tell you about their behavior, because a lot of it was. Inappropriately sexual.
1: I mean,
0: you don't know that you can't get them. Oh, it was inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I just tell you, anybody with any human values whatsoever would tell you these were weird, weird monkeys. Like
1: weird for spider monkey standards.
0: Just weird, man. You don't want to know. No, <laughs> yeah, we kind of do though. <laughs> tell you, I'll tell you some other time. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it, there's a moment. There's a lot of bad moments. The thing about these monkeys is. The cool thing about working with monkeys, though, like this is when they don't want to play, you can't make them. So you, you always know that you're not doing something they don't like. Because these are animals that are this big, and they've got claws and teeth. And they're smart. So you can't just grab them and say, now, come on, you're coming with me. You do that, you lose your face. So what you do is you open up a little cage. You, know, you want to do the experiment today? And if they jump in, it's like, cool, they're in. And if they just look at you, go, Bang! you go, cool, dude, no problem. I didn't say you had to. It was more of a... <laughs> sign the consent form um, in your own urine. <laughs> they were filthy animals, they were filthy animals, I'm saying that, and they had a TV. They had a TV, because you know why? The Canadian Council of Animal Care Technician, or uh, what do you call them, uh, inspectors came and said, well, you know, the animals need a TV and a radio. <laughs> okay, so they had radio one, CBC radio one, and a TV. And they, TV. and they had a nice view of the parking lot like, oh they need more simulation with literally no idea you know it turns out Suzanne all done not work and she's found that you know what you know what most animals hate human music and television <laughs> <laughs> they don't like it stop trying to answer more questions anyway they were really nice nice room this size they look in cages about that big. Like they were, they were okay. They lasted a long time. They were neat animals. I remember when uh, Charlie got sick and had to be uh, put down. It was really, really unpleasant because the, they were all rescued from zoos, eh? And they were uh, really nice animals. So some conclusions. I think we're probably surprised about this more than the timing, though so the timing. Is pretty amazing because if you can keep track of time on the average, you know, on, on the order of like 90 seconds, which I've seen geez, Seth Roberts work back in the day, 120 second FIs, and rats were perfect at it. Like they would look, you get the nice curve, and so they can keep track of two minutes. And you probably can't do that without pulling out your watch again, you your clock, or your radio, or radio, radio, yeah, on, you take your transistor radio and listen to the details. When you, when you, your your phone and watch time pass, right? you wouldn't think you could do that, you probably can, actually. You probably can. With training. Pardon me? With training. With training, yeah, exactly. Exactly. If you can't do it, I could tell you probably 10 seconds, you could probably do it almost right away. Um, With training, you'd be really good at it.
1: We have watches and clocks all around us. We don't... Specifically, me need to
0: keep See, that. this is the thing. We, and we don't do it that often anymore because we have devices. Uh, and we've had devices that can tell time for a very long time. That said, it's going to be great when the construction's done. That said, um, we still can do this kind of stuff. Um, so we shouldn't be surprised that we can keep track of time and number because of things, as I mentioned, like foraging. Right, this shouldn't surprise us, but it's still very cool. It went quicker than I thought it would. Questions? So on Wednesday, I've got a couple presentations. Take a look at the papers that are, you know, people are going to, that the fourth year students are going to present, uh, and I'll see you guys then. Thanks, everybody.
1: Sin knows that
0: Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.ac.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if call them show notes or blog posts so uh, you know buy these people's music they're they're making the stuff available out there uh, thanks everybody and we'll see you next time